this uh, show is called Honoring Ron Paul, and I do honor him. He was a big influence in my campaigning. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. The Honoring Ron Paul podcast starts now. Welcome to the Honor and Ron Paul podcast. This is episode 27. I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Joe Jorgensen, uh, who is the uh, Libertarian presidential candidate for the president. So uh, if you're thinking of voting for Joe, make sure it is Joe Jorgensen and not Joe Biden. My goodness, please. <laughs> Let's have an intelligent woman in the office uh, who has her PhD and is uh, quite accomplished so with that little intro, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, fill me in a little bit on um, how the campaign's going so far and, and uh, what uh, you think you bring different to the table. Well, the campaign's going great. Something that we are just ecstatic over is from the beginning, we have been getting so many non-libertarian volunteers. And that's usually not the case. You know, anytime you start a campaign, you've got first the core supporters and then they get the word out and it kind of grows. But we've had people who don't belong to the party from the beginning saying, you know what, we want a real change. We don't like what's going on out there. So, and this uh, show is called Honoring Ron Paul and I do honor him. He was a big influence in my campaigning, so. Oh, that's excellent. Um, uh, how so? Uh, just in how what you're trying to reach out to or the, well, the methods? Well, basically, when I first started campaigning, he really helped me uh, craft my message. So I ran for U.S. House in 1992, and he had already been our um, presidential nominee in 88. So I met him at the convention uh, in 91, and I really wanted help with the different issues, and especially because at the time I was married to a doctor and healthcare has always been a really important thing. And of course, in 92, it was important with Clinton and Hillary Care, which they kept talking about. And Ron Paul is a doctor, of course. And so I asked him for help because, especially if you're in the medical field, if you start talking about how we need to get rid of government, then people can say, well, uh, sure, you want that because you know you're a doctor or whatever. So I asked him how he handled it, and he had actually done a great video series uh, where it was a panel that he was on, and he was kind enough. And I was on a first name basis with the guy who ran his office, and I was calling them about every week for help and tips and literature and uh, videos. But he actually said that, you know, Dr. Paul said that he actually had the same concern too, that he didn't want people to say, well, just because you're a doctor, you want it this way. So he said he spent extra time researching it and was waiting to do that towards the end of the video series. And he just really gave me a lot of help, especially with healthcare. And nowadays, healthcare is one of the biggest issues, I think. We've got you know, Bernie Sanders and Liz Warren out there talking about how the free market obviously doesn't work, so we need Medicare for all. What's ironic, well, first of all, the one message I like to get out to everybody is that we don't have a free market system. That is the problem. But what's interesting is all of the problems that Ron Paul shared with me uh, back in the early 90s, they're still there, and they're still causing the problems. 
they tend to build on themselves as a physician myself. I see oh, okay. it all the time. And I think um, as the coronavirus has shown, uh, regulations are definitely in our way to better quality care. If you look at all the regulations, and for the listeners, they can go back and listen to episodes 18, 19, and 20. I think those are all on coronavirus. But uh, one of the main things that we saw is early on, they were worried about masks and the CDC was telling us not to wear masks. And the, the thought is, is that they didn't want people to suck up all the masks in the private sector. And so the first responders wouldn't have them. Uh, of course, having an N95 mask is a medical device regulated by the FDA uh, and making it uh, very difficult to um, ramp up production. It, and and they, isn't that crazy that a mask is regulated, <laughs> that somebody right. off the street can't just buy a mask? Um, yeah. How, you know, and I, I'm not sure, maybe you can share with me, are these masks dangerous? Uh, do people accidentally die from them easily? <laughs> what What's the problem here? Well, you know, when you got 300 million people, I'm sure somebody's died of a mask somewhere, but <laughs> you, know, you can always throw safety out there as a concern. I have no idea. It's just one of those things that there's always, if there's something that exists, it must be controlled and regulated and from the view of the government. And so it's, uh, you know, their little fiefdoms within the bureaucracy, of course, grow larger the more things they regulate. And so then you see these things that normally wouldn't have much of a consequence, which is the overregulation of masks and overregulation of uh, ventilator development and, and all of these things that normally people don't really see because it doesn't affect them until there's a pandemic. And now we see all these regulations yeah. uh, do have a very much a, a detrimental effect. And so, yeah. And by the way, notice it wasn't central planning, but it was the free market and companies out there who were pitching in. Like even that pillow guy was transforming part of his factory to make masks. So, right. you know, it's like the government acts as though if they don't tell us what to do, if they don't direct us, if they don't plan it, that somehow it's not going to get done. And yet look at all this. And, you know, you were mentioning about regulations getting in the way. I think uh, one thing that this virus has done is has exposed the FDA because a lot of people really haven't had much interaction, of course, with the FDA. They don't really understand how it's increasing the price of drugs. But what we saw was that the FDA was just an obstacle for getting testing out there. And you know, mm -hmm. for, forget, um, forget drugs, these are just tests. And in the beginning, there were over 60 different companies manufacturing uh, te uh, testing kits. They came up with testing kits. And the FDA only approved two of them, which meant all these other testing kits were going all over the world. And so they got tested. And we saw all sorts of news reports about how people in Southeast Asia um, were able to uh, test their people extensively. And meanwhile, we can't because of the right. FDA. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, you can't really have a, a better example of how the government gets in the way of innovation. It gets in the way of people's health care than this current crisis, uh, all the way from their bungling of their recommendations, flip-flopping all over the place. And, you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, you can flip-flop and I'm, I've come with different, come up with different conclusions on various portions of the coronavirus as new information comes in. But when you, 
have the teeth of the government and you have a mon monopoly on force and telling people what to do, you know, those flip-flops have a significant consequences. And I think all that uh, I'm saying and all that you're saying is that let's, uh, you know, let's have a dental procedure and let's take out some of those teeth of the government. And so, you know, it, you, people are free to make the decisions on their own healthcare. Um, and another thing that I noticed on your webpage, and this is a, a pet peeve of, of, of mine as far as, um, uh, but similar as you're going back to the idea of the overarching idea of, of government and people saying that, you know, if you don't want the government to do it, that means you don't want it done. And that is environmentalism. And um, that's oftentimes I see as ironic because early on in the libertarian movement, a lot of um, uh, people on the, the left and a lot of uh, economists were saying that, well, you can't really have a libertarian environmental order where people can uh, directly have injunctions or lawsuits against these polluters because that would be too restrictive on the economy and polluters. You would have too clean of an environment if you had the, the way the libertarians want it. And now all of a sudden, uh, people are thinking that the libertarians are anti-environment and anti-environmentalism. And, and one of your core points on the webpage I was seeing was that you're very much pro-nuclear, pro or at least not necessarily pro-nuclear, but allowing the market to decide, and oftentimes the market would decide, nuclear since it is quite a, a safe and effective way of producing energy. Yes, a very clean way that does not emit um, the carbons that we hear from the others. And the, the tragic part here is that the federal government subsidizes the more polluting forms of energy more than nuclear. So at least let's have a level playing field. Uh, and you know what, if, if a form of energy isn't good enough to put your own money into it for investors to put their own money into it then why should taxpayers be forced to pay for it that's an excellent point and one of the things i've often thought of uh is you know we have nuclear submarines why don't we have nuclear tankers nuclear cruise ships you know we've had nuclear submarines since the what the 60s and this technology exists and is presumably quite safe particularly if they would allow more research and movement towards the thorium reactors. So uh, the idea that you're just burning these cruise ships full of, of uh, oil when they could have a nuclear reactor that would last them 25 years, shipping everybody around uh, to all these beautiful ports at essentially zero carbon. Um, of course, you probably, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, a step too far for, for many people with the idea of a nuclear-powered cruise ship. But it just makes sense to me. Yeah, but, but the good news is we do have advanced technology now. We do have updated technology that we didn't have when the original nuclear power plants were put in place. And a lot of people are a little worried when they hear nuclear reactors because, you know, they think of the, um, the stories that they've heard. But, again, leave it to the free market even Rolls-Royce is in the market developing a smaller, you know, th these new nuclear power plants are about the 10th the size of the original ones and they're much safer with um, much less uh, risk. And so let's embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go back a little bit. 
tell me a bit more of your history because you mentioned in the early 90s and then all of a sudden by 92, you were the running mate of Six. Harry Brown? Yeah. Well, I ran, yeah, I ran for a house in 92 and then in 96, I was Harry Brown's running mate and I was very proud to be on the ballot in all 50 states. And Harry and I doubled the size of the party. That's the largest growth we've had in the party um, ever, really. So um, that that record still holds. So what I would like to do this election is actually break my own record. Oh, that would be wonderful. And I certainly think you can do it. Um, Harry Brown, if, you know, he died uh, mid 2000s, is that correct? Um, yeah, uh, so, so, yeah, around there, yeah. Um, and a lot of younger generation. I'm going to include myself in that, even though I'm 45. But, um, you know, we came in through the Ron Paul movement and we really kind of missed out on Harry Brown. I, I, I'm going to link a couple things uh, from YouTube. I'm sure he's got some videos up. I'm sure that's where I've seen them. Uh, he was a very eloquent speaker on liberty. And uh, he's got a great book, um, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, or something similar to that. A favorite of libertarians. Yeah, I'll, I'll link that as well. Yeah, uh, I read, well, well, basically his campaign book in 1996 was Why Government Doesn't Work, which I thought was a you know, great introduction to many people. So how did you first get uh, interested in, in all of this? Well, I heard on a Dallas radio show, I heard somebody talking about the Libertarian Party, and my first reaction was, wow, somebody out there thinks what I think. I thought I was the only person in the world who thought that we should take a different course and that people should be allowed to make their own decisions. And so the rest is history. And luckily for me, I discovered the party when I was still in college. So I never went the Democrat or Republican route. I've always voted Libertarian, starting with Ed Clark in 1980. Unfortunately, I had a uh, Republican streak there. Uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest <laughs> is just kind of like a requirement. Oh, where did, where did you grow up? Uh, Iowa. Oh, okay. Uh, I was a neighbor of yours. I uh, grew up in uh, Illinois, north of Chicago. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, cold winters. My goodness. Yes. Hot <laughs> summers. Uh, it's a wonderful place to be from. <laughs> yeah. And I no longer live there, much to the chagrin of my uh, mother. Uh, yes. So... Uh, if you or when you win uh, the, coming up in November, you'll be the uh, second president who's had their PhD. How do you see your administration going differently than Woodrow Wilson? <laughs> I'll call that a softball. Oh yeah, let, let me count the ways. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I can tell you this, my administration would be completely different than Joe Biden and Donald Trump's. Unlike their administrations, uh, I would bring the troops home. I would turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. We would finally be at peace with the world. Our troops would come home, be able to be with their families. And I would downsize government so that we wouldn't be at war with each other. And that's one of the problems that we have. You know, everybody says, oh, we're so polarized. What's going on? I think it's because everything goes through government. So let's say you want religion in your school and your next door neighbor doesn't. In our world, you both have to fight each other and vote and let the winner, uh, you know, choose. But in a libertarian society, 
you, you could choose your own school, you could choose your own healthcare, you could choose your own retirement. And so rather than, um, rather than fight it out at the ballot box, you would get to choose, I, I like to quote Milton Friedman, where you get to vote with your dollars or vote with your feet and you get to choose what you want. And so you don't have to be at war with your neighbor. That is an excellent points. And that's an excellent way to finish up because I think that Bing was uh, probably your next call coming <laughs> and telling us that uh, my <laughs> 15 minutes is up. Uh, Dr. Jorgensen, it has been a delight and I wish you the best. We'll try to get the word out so that you are uh, just a cruise right to victory. And if not cruise to victory, at least um, make sure we maintain ballot access, uh, help those uh, down ballot votes by uh, clicking that L lever. <laughs> yeah. Well, can, I, can I encourage your listeners to go to joj2020.com and check out the campaign? And as I mentioned, we've got a lot of non-libertarians there. Uh, so we hope to create a movement and you know, one thing I liked, well, many things I liked about Ron Paul, but yes, he really was creating a movement. And when you listen to him, he just sounded so reasonable and rational. And that's how I hope that my campaign sounds. Well, you're off to a wonderful start. So uh, with that, this is honoringronpaul.com slash EP27. And that's Dr. Joe Jorgensen. And I thank you very much for your time. Oh, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Take care.